Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room, episode 52, the review segment for, I guess this is a special edition, Thursday, December 18th, 2014. Uh, it's been a big week, you guys. We were planning to review the interview before a whole bunch of shit went down around the interview, which is really in essence and remains, uh, for when anybody does get to see it, a pretty dumb comedy starring Seth Rogen and James Franco in which they are charged with assassinating Kim Jong-un. Um, we'll talk about all kind of the madness that has surrounded it as we record this on Wednesday, which was a pretty big day regarding the interview. But we wanted to review the movie since everyone we have here has seen it. That includes me and Matt Patches and David Ehrlich and our special guest, Jordan Hoffman. Hi, Jordan. Hey, how are you? We wanted to review this movie because we all saw it and it's an interesting movie and uh, presumably someday people will see people it. People will um, see this movie. I mean, I'm pretty sure the movie is out there because of the Sony hack if you intend to see it I don't know it if way. it is. Like, I, I heard that like Fury and Annie were out there in their entirety, mm. but I didn't know about this no, one. No, I think what he means is that the the information is out there. It has not leaked. No, I, I thought Annie it may have Fury fully leaked. but did, but it yeah. is... It is out there on a hard drive or a server where it was not intended to be and thus will eventually wind up somewhere. Yes. Okay. So, David, I want to start with you because I feel like you are the most avowed fan of the interview in this conversation. And it's hilarious to me that now the most obscure movie that you're a fan of for fans of this podcast is one that's a Seth Rogen, James Franco movie that they'll never be able to see. Um, so what did you love so much about this that you want uh, all these capitalist pigs to be able to see it someday? <laughs> you scum. Uh, well, I, I I mean, I think that, that Seth Rogen, and this is you know, a very low bar to clear, but I think that the interview confirms he and his creative partner, Evan Goldberg, as nothing less than the most uh, ambitious men in contemporary Hollywood comedy. I mean, the, the movie, their first, their directorial debut was about the apocalypse. Uh, and it wasn't especially challenging in that sense, but because of Seth Rogen's star power, he was able to get away with this concept for doing it on a, on a pretty extreme budget relative to what other people might be able to bring to the table. And then this is, uh, even though it takes place in an earth, an earth that is not uh, imploding, I guess at least not in quite the same literal way, is much more outlandish as a premise. Uh, it's one of the only movies I can think of that involves uh, the attempted assassination of a sitting world leader. Um, and I've always been fascinated by North Korea. I have, I have traveled to the DMZ, which is, uh, plays a, a very small role in the movie. And I can report that that part at the very least was very accurate, but I know, I think the North Korean film industry is fascinating. I think, uh, Western documentaries made about North Korea are fascinating. I think it's all very neat. Uh, and so this, this was lined right up at me and I think, uh, it, it's fucking hilarious. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, I think that it is way funnier than this is the end. Uh, I think it's even funnier than neighbors. Um, is it a particularly, I, this is not a movie that was made necessarily to I, the, Seth Rogen. I think part of his genius is that he recognizes his own limitations. He recognizes his strengths, and he has made a movie about North Korea that, if it's about anything, is sort of about the role of celebrity uh, in global culture and and in uh, specific to where it exists. I think uh, the, there's a very thin line between celebrity and idolatry and. You see it exposed in this movie. It's not an accident that he's a producer of a TV show hosted, a, like a really terrible talk show hosted by Dave Franco, uh, James Franco's character, whose name is Dave Skylark. And uh, it's it's not an accident. The movie begins with these with these uh, interviews that are all about the fallibility of celebrity, not that. 
being gay makes you fallible. There's a hilarious scene with Eminem that I've already more or less spoiled, but you may never see it. It uh, is hilarious, uh, indeed. Rob, Rob Lowe's scene is uh, is a lot more damning. But uh, uh, what about Joseph Gordon-Levitt's scene? Just going <laughs> to kiss puppies. But, but it's all about sort of our relationship with celebrity, the, the, the idolatry that, but then eventually comes back around as as vengeance, as wanting to humanize them, as to deprive them of their pedestal, so that we feel better about ourselves. And that whole dynamic is flipped on its ear uh, with the power structure in North Korea, where millions upon millions of people are subjugated under the will of somebody that, uh, you know, it, it's it's hard to say exactly what the relationship is like. Certainly, a lot of the there's this idea of. Juche thought uh, where they they worship him and these ridiculous things. The movie the movie is based on truth in in all the ways that it parodies uh, Kim Jong Un. Like they they just twist it just a little bit. Like Kim Jong Un in this movie, who's played by uh, brilliantly by Randall Park in a role uh, that deserves is better than way better than J.K. Simmons and Whiplash. It's it's one of the best <laughs> best supporting. I mean, like way better. He's uh, really the, great in the movie. I agree great. With you there. Um, and. Uh, you know, his whole joke is that like he he tells the people that he doesn't have a butthole because he doesn't need to pee, he doesn't need to poop. That's not uh, true. He doesn't say that. There's a they myth say about that about that. it, right? They right. But like that. the but the myths that that they're mocking there are very very real. If you read yes, them the about. North Koreans um, do believe that he can speak to dolphins and, and such like. <laughs> and you know, you know, you don't. It, it's not necessarily you know the movie is very light on the North Korean citizenry as it should be because it doesn't hold the people particularly the people that we don't see the people who don't live in Pyongyang who are really the the upper crust of North Korean society the people who are being starved to death and the, the periphery of this country the more rural areas who probably don't believe these things uh, they, they don't have anything more to believe I and mean, this is just the only lives they have for themselves the people who are trying to defect um, it's not really about lambasting North Korean society so much as it is finding ways to reflect on celebrity as we see to target the audiences of the Western world uh, in a way that allows us to see North Korea's power structure, Kim Jong-un, his whole regime in a different light and uh, a very, 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 very funny one. It's also funny that what I think is their most sophisticated movie is also their most puerile. Uh, I think this is more poop and fart jokes than any of the other movies they've made. And a lot of ass something. jokes. Like a lot. lot. Of, lot of butts. A lot of butts. I thought yeah, there's was... like a 10 minute sequence where Seth Rogen is putting a drone in his butt. <laughs> I, I thought that, I'll pass it on. Yeah. I, I just thought this movie was very, very funny and uh, as funny as anything I've seen this year and uh, it's it's really a shame that it is really deserved to get out there. Um, um Jordan, I want to throw it to you since I know, I mean, we, we wrote a thing earlier today about the funny parts of it, but I don't know how you feel about it as a movie as a whole. Well, as usual, David tends to take things to extremes. I, I think that the movie is, is funny, and uh, I actually ha- share with perhaps a, only a handful of people who don't work for Rogan or Sony. I've actually seen the movie twice uh, by a weird coincidence. And uh, as far as I know, only three other people in our circle have seen it twice. So I'm very... <laughs> You'll tell your grandkids about this moment. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's a hell of a thing. So um, having seen it twice, I can say that unlike Inherent Vice, it does not reveal itself further upon second viewing. What you see is what you get the first time. <laughs> but, um, you know, it is very funny. And I think the thing that I respond to it most is this amazing life-reflecting art situation we have with us right now in that the movie is about Rogan and Franco 
um, kind of this Hope and Crosby, two sort of knuckleheads who Franco was a complete airhead and Rogan has his feet on the ground a little bit more, uh, but it's still, you know, an American airhead, knucklehead, who sort of bumble their way into, and I don't know how much we want to get into spoilers, but let's say they change world history as a result of their shenanigans in this <laughs> There's film. There's like only one spoiler that can Yeah, so. they change they change world history because they Listen, go to Listen, I, I say we can spoil. You know what? I was, I was upset about this in the days leading up to today that a lot of headlines were... Uh, spoiling the one thing that there is to be spoiled about this movie, but I think well, at this point, there's no point in spoiling. I mean, there's no. I you think can talk about ninety five percent of the spoiling movie. it. I think both arguments are valid. Well, uh, uh, nevertheless, uh, I think we can safely say that uh, you know they the movie go, goes in a direction and takes it full throttle. Let's go that way. They they don't pussyfoot okay. foot around with the ending. Sure, sure. It, this um, is their inglorious bad. I was about to say this is it's no it, that's totally apt. I was going to say that this is very Tarantino esque by the end. I mean it's an oh, extremely yeah. gory movie, especially when the action ramps up in the third act and they just go for it. And that's and that's that's kudos to uh to the the the, the soon to be late Amy Pascal who allowed <laughs> Are you saying she's, she's not going to die. No, she'll be I, fine. Fire. Do not yes. threaten Amy Pascal. I'm saying that she is going to have to go to Tokyo and commit Harakira on the floor of <laughs> this Sony boardroom. Jesus. <laughs> bow herself Mishima style right Now there. it is a Tarantino yeah. movie. All right. <laughs> this is the point I was trying to make. Much like the characters Rogan and Franco play are these two kind of dopes who stumble into something. Rogan and his friend uh, Saul Greenberg, or whatever Evan the guy's Goldberg. name is, Evan Goldberg, um, have sort of made this middle to low budget dopey comedy targeted at the stoner demographic, and have suddenly made a very important film that is going to resonate for decades. You know, provided the world doesn't blow up. Dude, I don't know if the actual film will resonate, but, no, but the, the conversation around it. The story of this film will get yes. told forever. Nothing like what happened today has ever happened. A lot of people have been talking about Charlie Chaplin and The Great Dictator. And David, no offense, but the interview is not as good as, as The Great Dictator. I, I uh, do not recall saying that it's as good as The <laughs> no, Great Dictator. All right, I just want to get that out <laughs> But a uh, few, few things are. It also right. uh, aspires to somewhat less lofty ambitions. I was about to say, the interview is still a movie, is still a Rogan-Goldberg movie that has three right. different slow motion doing they, shots and like, sleeping with naked women. has a really sweet humanist element to it. And oh, 100%. Yes, it always yes has. there is. Uh, you know, we get a talk for days about what they have or have not accomplished as far as normalizing uh, bro culture and making people a little bit less panicky about gay panic. But um, I think also the fact that they their first thought is to find something like a sweet kernel of humanity inside of Kim Jong Un yeah. uh, is is you know something beyond even what Charlie Chaplin bothered to do. They're Although nice Hitler Canadian was uh, was a tough guy to find. Maybe, yeah, Hitler was maybe worse. Maybe <laughs> right. I don't know. <laughs> well, anyway, to, so so my, the thing that I find most tickling about this is. Much like the two characters that say, yeah, let's go to North Korea and interview Kim Jong-un, I think Goldberg and Rogan are like, yeah, let's make this stupid-ass movie and it'll be a blast and are stunned. Every, much as st- every bit as much stunned as their characters were right now. I think they're just flabbergasted at the fallout from this. Um, and uh, 
God knows how this will affect them in the future. I mean, it won't. You, know, <laughs> you don't well, think I, it will? No. Seth Rogen's a really nice guy. You think he wants this to, this to be happening? He's- I bet you that oh. his... I mean, there's no way of knowing this, but I, I would think that his next movie will make X amount of dollars more than it would have otherwise because people want to go support it. Well, yeah, he he about- didn't greenlight this movie. They he People didn't have to make the interview. This isn't really on him. They decided to not put it out. He has nothing to do with this, and it's a good movie, and that word will get out there. That that's like saying uh, that's like that's like writing a crazy piece and handing it to your editor, and then blaming the editor for publishing it. No, that's if they uh, thought it was too crazy. Interesting. I mean, no, not not really. Not when your editor read the piece before you made it, and yeah. then gave you a shit ton of money to make it, and then watched it every step of the way. And then and the commented on how you were blowing people's faces CEO off of the newspaper yeah. uh, was in conversations with you about the smallest of details about it after watching it numerous times. And then after it was out of everybody's hands and already delayed two months, which in retrospect may not have been the wisest move, uh, <laughs> they today. They realize realize that this was a problem. So, what do you think? They should have never made the film. No, I think that Sony needs to be commended for making this movie. I think that this is a movie. Amy Pascal, in one of her ridiculous emails, says that you know Sony's the only studio that would have made this movie, and and I think there's probably some truth to that. I don't know or really care too much about the individual studios and what creative risks they take because it's all a pretty low bar. But uh, I'm impressed that anybody with that sort of money made this movie uh it, it is still a seth rogan james franco comedy but it's ballsy as shit and they go there and uh you know it's not like you had to picture i don't think anybody imagined that this was going to be the scenario um i would not have had any fears when, of something like this happening you're if making I were me told. have more reservations about this movie by saying that it's really ballsy and it goes there i agree that it's very funny and it's accomplished like i was saying this is the end is a movie that i i didn't enjoy as much as other people and i thought it looked kind of cheap and it felt very stiff and this feels like a a movie i was saying on twitter earlier this week that it reminded me of like ivan reitman stripes or even spies like us i mean john landis is a uh, is a good director when it comes to the visuals and to to kind of goofy comedy spies like us is not a good movie but it reminds you a lot of spies like us it reminds you of the cinematic value of those movies and this has this is filmmaking you know uh when we when i when we reference tarantino at the end it's not just because they're splattering a lot of blood but it, because it's kind of artful and they're playing with soundtrack and they're doing all sorts of things um to really push this movie forward but when it comes to satire i don't know if i think it's that ballsy it's ballsy just by nature, by what they're chasing here, but I don't think it really takes a lot of risks, and the sh- satire is at sharp by the time they get to North Korea and they're hanging out with. Uh, First of all, Ballsy by Nature is the name of my '90s all-male <laughs> R&B group. <laughs> but second of all, I think that it, you know, is it is it Citizen Four Ballsy? No, but all things in their context, I think. I don't even uh, think it's Monty Python Ballsy. I mean, I think. Mm. I think well, that there's you're you're is a different is a different scale. I mean, if you're making you know Monty Why? Python and they're making Life of Brian, when you're dealing with anything religious, is a totally different ballpark. But I think that um, having the the creative courage to try and make a movie about this great unknown place that uh, 
that exists as it does today. It's very timely to the modern world. It, it does, I, I mean, as I was saying, I would not have anticipated something like this happening. I don't think that the results make it more ballsy in retrospect. But as I was watching it, I was, like, a lot of my laughter was as, as the result of, of just not believing that they did this, this crazy movie should not exist. I mean, I really thought that this was, uh, this is not the kind of uh, studio comedy that we are, condition to expect this is this is from minds that are far more creatively restless well com- compare it to like the i mean i, I listen by and large i agree with you I, I i just don't think it's quite as funny as you're saying but i do agree with you but compare it to some of the other quote-unquote edgy comedies that are sort of like uh allegedly dangerous comedies that say uh, movies like the hangover which i do not like at all i don't think you do either um but, uh, you know, there are some people I've been noticing some people talking on Twitter, mostly people who haven't seen the film yet, that kind of lump it in with that as like, oh, is this a bunch of white guys, you know, uh, running around, you know, making gay jokes. And and how, I mean, how, how do you how do you compare the two different styles of filmmaking? The Hangover strikes me as the least ambitious movie uh, ever made. I mean, that, that, that's not true. But I mean, just because just because it has rude humor, as the MPAA would call it, uh, doesn't mean that it's that it's ambitious or, or even edgy. Um, no, but I think it runs out of steam at certain points. I'd be here, interested to hear what Katie has to say on on that topic because there are times where, I mean, it's just there's a whole three minute joke in the middle of the movie where they're just staring at Lizzie Kaplan's boobs after mm-hmm. like sleeping. With no, hookers no. or something, I'm just like, get on with it. What are we? T- what is this movie about? Stop like having parties. Uh, get yeah. to the actual intellectual fart comedy here, which is a thing. <laughs> it exists, yeah, that, and it's Lizzie in this Kaplan's movie. part. I mean, I agree with you there. I, I think that they just wanted more for her to do, and just didn't have more. Didn't have deeper to go into their premise, and but it's always like the Ricky Gervais office type humor where. Whenever there's anything sexist or racist said, it's always – it's usually Franco's character, but sometimes Rogan's character. The joke's on them. For example, uh, Franco gets off the plane in, North, in Pyongyang and he says to all the assembled North Koreans, konnichiwa. And you go, oh, and you groan. And there's like an eating dog joke and there's even a miso sali joke, which is done in a very, very funny way. Um, in my opinion, anyhow, where the joke is always on the dumb white guy. But it's still racial humor. It's still potentially offensive – um, but that but I, yeah, go ahead. That doesn't mean that when, like, when Patches was saying you're staring at Lizzie Kaplan's boobs, that you're not kind of seeing it coming a mile away and being like, oh, okay, I see exactly what we're doing here. I mean, I think the racial stuff is more interesting because it's less common, especially, I mean, people don't deal with Koreans at all in American movies, much less, you know, in a racially interesting way. So that stuff is more interesting. But all the stuff with women and with Diana Banks' character, who's like the sexy propaganda secretary, like, I mean, there's a the great physical comedy bit uh, where. Seth Rogen's trying to have sex with her and without using his hands. But, it, I mean, it does feel a little tired in parts of it where it's just kind of like retreading. You know, how long do we have to watch Seth Rogen trying to put something inside his ass? And why is it funny to watch him trying to put something inside his ass? Like, it's funny for a while, but it is kind of obsessed with a lot of the same things that while the existence of the movie is kind of daring, a lot of the content of it just feels repetitive in a way that, I, you know, even neighbors didn't. 
Not that it was made by the same yeah, people that wrote Yeah, you think that just being it. in North Korea and trying to have this interview take place, I mean, if we haven't described the plot enough here, it's a lot like Frost Nixon to the point where they make <laughs> Frost Nixon jokes. Frosty <laughs> Nixon, they call it Frost Nixon. Uh, which is just wonderful, and I kind of wanted more of that tension. It, there's a weird lack. I mean, I think this movie kind of falls into a slump in the middle around the time that Seth Rogen is being chased by mountain lions and the tiger. Sticking, oh, the sorry. Tiger. Bengal tigers, Bengal tigers. I'm sorry. And, uh, and, and sticking rockets up his ass. Uh, somehow that kind of drags. And it does. the most because- interesting parts are when Franco as this douchebag celebrity addicted talk show host is like grappling with his relationship with King Jong-un. Um, no, the Seth stuff Rogen that makes really movie, doesn't have a lot to do. The stuff that makes the movie interesting is the exact same thing that makes the makes Twenty One Jump Street interesting, which is like this idea of bromance and jealousy amongst these two guys, and like Ro- like Fra- Franco becoming friends with Kim Jong Un, and like so Rogan feeling jealous about it, and watching they're like watching these two friendships develop. He gets honey dicked. Yeah, many I mean, that, people do. <laughs> that's so something that. Uh, this is the end was really good about too is about male friendship and the idea of like envy and kind of moving on from each other and like watching across a chasm as your dude friend yeah. goes off with somebody else. And that those parts of the interview are really interesting. It's almost like they wanted to be able to do all of that, but then they wanted to also make a huge action movie and then what? also have a bunch of dick jokes. Now so. that I think right. about well, it, Rogan's ever... part Rogan's part just doesn't seem that necessary in retrospect. That oh, the I whole movie Rogan's could really be Franco. Film. But I, I don't think it's quite – I mean I don't think what Katie said is in any way untrue. But I don't think it's as pitched towards uh, this Lundry. friendship element as 22 Jump Street was. Uh, you, you really get to the point where – No, it's not, but I wish Rogan it was. and Franco's character are like, we're not friends anymore. Like, go away, you know. Yeah, they um, hint at it. It's like, a, it's like a head fake. And I'm kind of glad they didn't go there too yeah. much because I would have – feel like I've seen that before. And there's also this sort of head fake toward Kim – and Franco's character as both being like they're in the shadow of their dead fathers and you feel yeah. like you're going to go into that. And they just sort of hint at it. Oh, I and think then there's just more plays. butt jokes, which is, which is fine. <laughs> well, I, I think there's also, you know, you're, what's their loyalty to? And I think their loyalty is ultimately to those butt jokes. But that's really what the yeah. movie is about, is about these warring loyalties. And you're, you're sitting there watching the Panos interview. And, and I think so much of the movie is in that scene, as Katie suggested. Um, and and you're, you're looking at these two men who are both at war with their own loyalties, their loyalty to their uh you know their image and and their careers so to speak that they built for themselves um and also with the impulses to do what they know is right and i think what's so interesting about that scene is is uh not even about kim jong-un but also about um you know if james franco's character is going to ask the hard questions if he's actually going to default from being the billy bush of the uh the interview so, he, I mean, whatever. But um, but I think, yeah. But I I think, uh, and that's what's so what's so interesting is that moment when he he does turn the tables, um, while Seth Rogen is having several of his fingers bitten off. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so much blood, so much blood, so much blood. Movie. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, it's a funny movie. It's a shame. Let's it's go. It's a shame that nobody's going to get to see this. <laughs> I know. It's, it's funny. It's 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 a, it's a quality fun. Like I had some friends. You know, I have some friends who who are believe it or not, I have some friends who are not in the film writing biz. And somebody said, "Oh, should I see this 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 the interview?" I'm like, "Yeah, you should. You should go on an opening weekend at night. You know, maybe have a few beers before." And it really is pretty damn funny. And uh, it's and it's their you know, their most yeah. personal movie, I think. If we're, wow. if we're talking about you know uh, Seth and James's characters are gossip 
interview, I mean, this is a, this is a terrible show that they run, and everyone makes fun of them for doing it. Skylark it's, tonight. Yeah, Skylark tonight. And tonight um, on Skylark tonight. That reminds I me mean, of tonight. I'm going to rock you tonight. By that, that, I'm just I'm just saying that scenes I, are just so funny on his talk show with Eminem. I mean, Eminem's whole M- life M- has M- just been justified. The Eminem scene is really incredible. <laughs> No, but I, I, what I was getting at was, is there some sort of parallel between this kind of low-brow, saves-the-day storyline in this movie and what Rogan does? Is this somehow the late-in-the-gay reaction to death of adulthood or something? Um, huh. Despite it, you know, there's it's it's peppered with fart jokes, it's a lot, a lot of butt jokes, but they're still saving the day with butt jokes, and I don't know if that's plays into the fictional side of this. Are you saying like uh, like alcohol as the cause and solution of all life's <laughs> problems? Like butt jokes got them into this mess, but only butt jokes only can, butt get, them jokes can <laughs> get them out. Pretty much. Wow. Yeah. I don't know how to wrap up this conversation because oh, I can't tell people what to do about seeing it since yeah. this movie. I mean, all right. Do you guys think, I don't like, know honestly, ethical. do you think it will ever be made public for people to see? No. But and never? will see it. No, sure. I, mean, I, I think there will be a blue. I think the Blu-ray window, whenever it was originally intended, will go as planned. I don't know why they couldn't like ADR in a different name for Kim Jong Un. Well, that's that wouldn't that's make any absurd. sense. That wouldn't I, that wouldn't change anything. That would no. really you would know you would watch it knowing. Hello, Kim Jong Two. <laughs> Uh, well, I mean, at some point in the production, they were like, hey, guys, why not just make it an anonymous dictator? Why not? And, and they were like, no, it's, it wouldn't be nearly as funny. And, no, it absolutely no, wouldn't it be wouldn't. funny. Uh, and, beautiful. I mean, let's, let's be honest. There is like one or two moments where there's a little, uh, one moment where Franco starts whipping out uh, facts about the crimes of the Kim dynasty, I guess you call it, uh, about uh, – you know that they're spending on 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 defense versus their agriculture versus the amount of people in 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 these horrible gulags of which they're you can Google and read about this terrible terrible situation. I mean, you know, it, it's you can really feel good about yourselves as Americans that North Korea really is a horrible place and we're we're better than they are. The government, I'm saying, not the people. <laughs> but I don't um, think there's really any doubt about that there are a lot of idiots there are a lot of dumb people out there they don't know not that would listen to this show but i'm saying there are a lot of dumb people but out that's there why that the movie is so smart in turning it against us and making it more about us in a way because you know it is important it is important that we know what we can about north korea but you don't really need to do much to convince us that the north korean system is is broken um and you're not going to make a movie that's going to magically liberate the north koreans from their own ideological trap and, and the economy and the way things work no, there. No, but that and doesn't so, excuse going soft in that department. Isn't no, and they don't. Do you think they, they do? They don't. I don't think they go soft I think at they all. Go as so- I think they go as soft as one can when you dealing think, with a real... You think they go soft. Watch like the Vice documentaries when they go in there. Watch State of Mind or any of the documentaries really that have been allowed access But that's what I'm saying. You're, you're giving and, people a lot of credit for thinking that every, like the North Korean narrative is exposed and understood and that this movie can reflect more on America, which I agree that it does. I mean, it does equate our adoration for celebrities with kind of the, the zombie like people of, of, uh, of Kim's people. I mean, there are reflections on America here. There are, this is commentary on both parties, but to think that everyone just understands what's happening in North Korea is a little bizarre to me. Oh, I think uh, they understand well enough. Coming from someone who's been there, you know, you've you've gone close. You you, you uh, overestimate the the five feet that you're allowed to go. (laughs) 
<laughs> you're not allowed to go out. Your eyes have seen it. Uh, but you should see uh, the the people out there should see uh, the Red Circle, which is probably the most damning movie I can think of that's been made about North Korea, which is a documentary by the oh the Chapel. Is it the Chapel? The Red Chapel. Chap- yeah, the Red, Red Chapel. Chapel. Yeah. Um, which is. Uh, what, are the, what was the other movie they made that people are familiar with? Um, well, anyway, they go to North Korea. The guy pretends to be handicapped, and uh, the filmmaker is, is is handler, and it is amazing. <laughs> um, Patches, you just helped me put together a motif of the film that you guys probably all got earlier, but that uh, we were mentioning earlier, Joseph Gordon-Levitt rolling around with puppies on Skylark tonight, and then uh, Kim Jong-un gives James Franco a gives puppy a because it disarms puppy. you and make you... It, 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 it's the narcotic of the people is... Uh, People playing with puppies. Right, there's a lot of connections that's a, that's between a, that's a really what happens. Connection yeah, later, later in the Korean interview and all the celebrity stuff is almost exactly the same. Yeah, I yeah. think if someone were to see this movie and go, oh, they're not so bad, I think would be uh, missing that, that point a little bit. But I do, just to answer what Jordan was asking earlier, my, my guess, if I have to put it out there, will be that um, I think it's inevitable that the movie will be seen by mass audiences. At but this, not necessarily. At this rate, I think it will happen illegally before it happens legally. Um, but, uh, I just think that the way the world works right now, it's ludicrous to think that a movie, um, of this size can just vanish. They'll go on tour. They'll perform on stage like Conan did when he got <laughs> banned from television. <laughs> no, but do you the think interview live in, in X amount, whatever the Blu-ray window was, let's say next, you know, next. May or April or whatever, will you be able to walk into Best Buy and buy a copy of this think movie? They're burying it, right? I, and no. they're burying it for good. This isn't a time capsule that'll open in a few years. I don't know. I think, I mean, I think in a day or two, it'll be clear what they're going to do. But right now, it feels like they could release it on Blu-ray as, you know, like the version. I think they will. I feel like it's going to blow over so fast. It all but feels the like the threat a of cyber attacks is real. If we don't get to the bottom of this, if we don't Figure out who the culprits are for sure. I think, you know, oh, Best Buy, because there are like two places that sell DVDs in this country right now. <laughs> so it's like, oh, Best Buy is carrying it. Fuck it, we'll hack them. All of their social security numbers of all their... Well, they have to nut up. And I mean, I, listen, I could understand when the, when the first threat of violence where they said, you know, where they invoked uh, 9-11, um, I, on, I for a moment, and they said, we will bomb the premiere and anyone who lives near the premiere better get out of town. For a minute, I understood to myself, you know what? I could kind of understand nixing the premiere, although it's unlikely anything physically violent would happen. I could sort of understand not taking the risk, but it's ludicrous to think that they were going to, you know, that these North Korean sleeper cells were going to be in <laughs> Watch out, Kansas, in, in, in Indianapolis. The, the I mean, physical threats yeah. are all absurd, but I think uh, clearly they have the capability to carry out cyber threats. That's exactly and I think, right. you know, That's if, exactly if suddenly the guy who works the, who, like, cleans the toilets of a regal theater somewhere has his social security number exposed and his identity stolen, I mean, the these are very crazy, real yeah. threats for these, for every, not just those people, for all people. And, uh, and, yeah, I think that, you know, if there's a Best Buy and they're like, well, we don't sell this one fucking Blu-ray and we spare all of our, you know, untold number of employees the hassle, there's no chance they're selling but that you Blu-ray. Don't, right. but, I mean, but that's absolutely you don't, horrible because well, I, I got to get this off. Oh, right go, ahead, go ahead, Jordan. Because, uh, you know, wh- what happens next? I mean, Selma comes out in a few weeks. Does the well, KKK make a threat? That's I was uh, saying that the today. The next I was movie like, about anything with involving Arabs or any documentary, does ISIS make a threat? And these movies will never I get mean, made again. That's yeah, the infuriating yeah, that's, part. Yeah. That's the dangerous precedent of all this. I'm not, I'm not saying – I mean, I think Sony and the theaters – they're all in such a terribly difficult position, but I think that you know, if this were about Selma, 
And thank God it's not. And and the KKK alleging they would blow up these theaters, and I would believe them. Um, but the fart you know, jokes in Selma are like, like rich and textured. <laughs> like we'd be in a very different place. I think people would be a lot, even though the threat would be more credible, phys- uh, credible physically. I think people would also be slower to capitulate to their demands Absolutely. because we hate these people a lot more. And um, you know, I think. That would and, and and the precedent this sets is that it very well could be that the next time. Um, and well, and I this all leaves us in a very unsure position. Well, it and, means that entertainment companies and all companies need to get their shit together with regard to safety of their yes. system. Yes. I think if you, the big winner of today is the kid who just graduated college at, or dropped out of college and is a fucking wizard at programming defense against this stuff. Uh, and can now go to Sony and be like, here, here's my resume. Here's what I can do. I will be paid several million dollars a year. It it bugs me that we live in a world in which the United States government does not negotiate with terrorists to the point that we let people get murdered on video to the point to not negotiate with terrorists. And if you threaten a private company, they'll just be like, okay, sure. We'll do it literally whatever you want because you're publishing our leaked emails. Like it's such a capitulation. <laughs> well, and, like I'm not private gonna be, companies like, are not the government. Uh, no, they're uh, not. And they don't have to be, but like the lack of willingness to stand up. I mean, I can't like, I'm not going to be there and be like, they need to be men and have spines, but it bugs me that we just do what the terrorists tell us to I do. I don't think okay. it's because, I don't think it's because of, you know their emails. I don't. I don't. No, really I recognize think, that they're like social know. security numbers. There's legitimate security threats. I mean, Sony is you know horribly decimated by this. But they're going to get sued by. All, I mean, there's already a class action lawsuit on behalf of their staff oh, and yeah. former staff. But I mean, it's it's a number. It's a bottom line thing. They look at the ledger sheet. I mean, that's the difference between a government and a corporation. Although they become, although you know the, <laughs> the lines are blurring. You know, uh, you know, many of us work for big companies, uh, and and you know, the, the the top brass looks at the the you know the the ROI on every decision, and they just said to cut it. You know, uh, keep in mind that Sony Pictures, Columbia Pictures, Columbia TriStar, whatever you want to call it, is only one line item on Sony's you know master plan. You know, they sell tape recorders, right? I mean, that's their that's their other gig, and. God knows what else they sell. So, you know, the money they lost on the, the interview is really not going to affect Sony's bottom line. Big Sony. You know? No, and their stock price, didn't their stock price go way up today because they uh, of the decision to sort of disavow themselves of this movie? Yes, bravo, wow. Sony. Wow. Oy vey, oy hey, Obama vey. weighed in. Go to the movies, he says. Yeah, he did. Is that what, really? Which did doesn't make any sense because he can't see the interview. Who cares if he go to the movies? Okay. And go then see the other Annie. Thing is this. Everyone so, go see Annie. God. <laughs> the other thing is this. So what, you know, let's say you're a, you know, you're a, who's a young writer, director who just got a deal with the studio? I don't know. Let's say you're. Mark Webb five years ago. Let's say you're Mark Webb five years ago. Or you're one of those Duplass guys. Colin right? Carpello. So you're sitting down with, the, with, with, um, you know, the studio head and you're pitching them ideas anything a little bit political is going to get nixed. Absolutely. And the, the only yeah. companies that are putting out political stuff is Citizen Four, which is Radius, and I think the, the highest budget but movie Radius they take put it out today? Was, well, they take Citizen Four because it's aiming inward, and that would be a disaster if they, like anyone, really complained about that. But anything exposing, like, I'm really worried about documentaries and, and yeah, small indie films like that try and yeah. tackle political topics. Like, who would buy them? Yeah. Uh, I, you know, on the on the other side, I don't think that uh, I, I really, at this point, think that a movie has to be at a certain size. 
for it to attract this kind of attention uh, because they know that, you know, like I, I just I don't see this sort of campaign being waged against a radius or a... Uh, but someone brought up a good point. Like, what if the next Bond movie has him taking on a, a Russian or, or... Well, this is the same question we've been asking. Like, what kind of precedent does this sell overall? Yeah. And while I don't yeah. see this happening against these smaller companies, I think uh, so certainly the next Bond movie is, is not being made by a small company. It's made by Sony. And, uh, and yeah, the precedent is, is terrible all I'm, around. But it's also like... I mean, remember after 9-11 when it was like, we won't have action movies anymore. We can't have attacks on American cities anymore. And now every other Marvel movie has some giant thing hovering over an American city and destroying yeah. it. Like, things but change. That's an, like, that's an aesthetic choice. It the, is. But from it's, the audience when it was palatable. We're talking about other countries. I mean, the, the worry is people like North Korea and, and our, you know the people like ISIS and, and Al-Qaeda and uh, the Taliban in Pakistan right now. I mean... Uh, yeah, would have, they make Zero Dark Thirty... Uh... No, no. Will they oh make, my god, no, oh, they would not. Uh, you know what? You get will, the sense that nobody's going to blow themselves up for a whoa. fucking movie. So, let's let's just get better at this shit. Whoever it is that knows how to do this, and we won't have to worry about it. I know this is the most naive, the naive line of thought, but I could not possibly know less about <laughs> cybersecurity. Pretty naive. <laughs> and and I I have to think that if this is their only line of attack, uh, and we learn from this experience and get better at it, that it's not a zero-sum game, that it can be like, okay, we can defend against this. I just this. don't know if people are ready and how quickly that can happen. I, I mean, I, I've been talking to many people today, and this will not be the last time something like this happens. No, no but no. maybe the next attack won't be on entertainment. It'll be on Ford or something like that, you know, or it'll be at a major American company. I mean, the thing is this. Something we that impacts us even worse because well, it's no, a, well, yes, but more not, in, not in, fighting in the, in the war room is what I'm saying. Uh, not art, and etc. But listen, I mean, we don't know who aligned in North Korea did this attack, but, you know, as crazy as these North Korean government and military seems to be, I, I lose sleep over. I mean, look at the shit that happened in Pakistan two days ago. Mm-hmm. You know, look at ISIS. I mean, if they could get access to American uh, or just Western corporate computers, forget getting a dirty bomb in New York. I mean, that could really, you know, that's some serious shit. I mean, like crash planes into each other and who knows? Yeah, so yeah. Let's let's get better at that. <laughs> but like, don't that. we need don't we need art to push this? Like to expose people, you know, David's talking yes. about everyone knowing what North Korea is is wrong with the country and and the problems that they have there. But you know what? The interview was probably going to expose a good handful of people to this. And then what do you do? Do you do you, do you really hold it back? Do you not make these movies? Can there be any confidence? Can there be any bravery in our our mainstream art? Is it I think we're going to we're going to lose bravery in mainstream art for a little for while. For the I time think. being, yeah, the th- things are on hold. What was the deal with that? Se- yeah, Steve were Carell things not movie? on hold when uh, Guardians of the Galaxy came out, or <laughs> Amazing Spider-Man Two, or pretty much anything that's been in the fucking multiplex for the past ten years? I right. loved how Guardians of the Galaxy commented on the Ukraine Business situation. As it was really <laughs> like we got one ambitious studio movie this year. You know that actually not just. For ambition's sake, something like, something like Interstellar, but actually dares to the smallest pinprick. <laughs> That'll teach us. And Wait, look what happens. Wait, no, 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 Never no. stray from the seven-year plan. No, Dawn of Superman. Tomorrow, Sony announces Phase Eleven of the <laughs> Spider-Man movies. <laughs> no, 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 a movie. You know what's going to be screwed is a movie, and it's not my favorite movie, but a movie like Argo, which dares to 
speak ill of uh, an Islamic regime, you know, even though it's based on a true story, right? So, how long you know, ago? 30 years. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It puts the Ayatollah in, in bad light. I, get, I think that if you're Ben Affleck and you are pitching Argo tomorrow to Warner Brothers, they're not going to green light it. Ben Affleck. Don't you <laughs> Is that his name? Bela Fleck? Bela Fleck. If you're a member of Bela Fleck and the Flecktones, no, listen, seriously. This is the Argo best marketing to... campaign for Black Hat that I've ever, uh, yes. I've ever seen. This is I, I think that we're going to see a pause on that. And what was my big point? My big point if is... You're ben, if you're be- Bella Fleck, Bella Fleck Argo is, tomorrow. It's a big deal. Uh, and I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Maybe, uh, maybe we should stop watching movies and read books i don't know i mean it's terrible Everyone watch citizen four and see how you can protect yourself and how much of your life is on a computer and how much you can fuck yeah, things up encrypting your emails and encrypt your emails everybody encrypt encrypted this browsers yeah oh god yeah it's really it's, depressing it's really depressing you know it's so it's angry just like when the last temptation of christ came out uh there was an actual bombing in a french it wasn't a bombing theater. they drove a car through the window in the French movie theater, yeah, they got. Dra- I believe Fine. what happened was he drove a truck into the auditorium, but it was real, real bad. And you know, and and that movie came out, and there were protests, and nobody gave a shit. You know, in the in the nineteen thirty two American studios were in order to retain their ability to distribute films in Germany and pass whatever German code they had, were re-editing their movies in order to be less critical of the Nazis and capitulating. To their demand, I mean, there's always something, but I feel like this is uh, is kind of unprecedented. Somebody asked me today if this was unprecedented, and I, I said, yeah. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and think back into a time when before the internet existed when it's just a whole different ballgame now. And I'm just glad the movie we get to go to bat for isn't an Adam Sandler. Oh, Sony God. Comedy. It was blended. <laughs> yeah, Grown Ups like, 3, hey. they accidentally go to North Korea on vacation. That's seems possible jack and jill are there yeah eddie murphy plays kim jong-un seth rogan is a worthwhile filmmaker to be able to stand up for and i'm i'm you know not glad that it's him because i want his career to be good but i feel like he's yeah no he'll he'll be fine but the truth is that we should stand up we should stand up no matter who it is i'm very worried about sasha baron cohen has anyone heard from him lately (laughs) (laughs) i don't know what he was working he's been kim jong-un this entire time um but yeah, I don't know. This is it's some weird ass shit. I've never. This has been. A, I mean, Jordan, you've been following the movie industry longer than I have. I have never seen anything this strange, especially as fast as it happened. Like in a, in a single yeah. day, like everything just you know fell in on itself. You know, you know what it seems like the most. It seems like if you're watching a dumb comedy and it's like the opening montage just set up in a ludicrous <laughs> scenario. It's like they pull the movie from the theaters two weeks before it comes out. Or like and a then, post-apocalypse movie where it's like the newscasters is right. like earthquakes in California, tidal waves exactly. in the Philippines, and then the world is falling. But when the rock does, swoops in, the rock delivers how, the interview to theaters. It does point towards how real power these days is completely intangible. How it is all online. I often feel it's in the cloud, bro. Uh, because oh, because I know so little about this stuff, and and because I really just talk about movies and then write it i feel sort of impotent in that sense and like you know i don't think that the next generation of people any kids born today will be able to reach my age you know anyone who's had a uh, a reasonably decent education uh without being much more well versed in this stuff because i think the knowledge of how to negotiate this is is its own form of currency and uh i feel very ill-equipped 
in this world. Don't give up yet, David. You <laughs> just turned up. thirty. You can right, I promise right. you can keep track of this stuff. You you can you can take uh, classes at the uh, at the uh, learning annex. Tech, the learning <laughs> annex. But I mean, listen, it's true. I, I, you know, uh, we we spend a lot of money on defense. Uh, we got to get our cyber shit sewn up. You know, it's uh, it's get serious. Chris Hemsworth on the case. What was the Stuxnet worm? Remember the Stuxnet worm? Didn't that, we create uh, that to fuck up Iran? Iran. Yeah, I think it was a U.S.-Israeli uh, co-production. Uh, it was so. a Golden Globus production, I believe. And uh, um, so anyway. there's our solution for uh, retaliating for the interview is a U.S.-Israeli co-production of a, yeah. a, a sweeting of the interview starring <laughs> David Ehrlich. All right. Well, listen, I, I think uh, just to wrap it up here, I, I'm going to keep hope alive. I think that by April, by Easter next year, you can be able to waltz right into the Best Buy and pick up a copy on Blu-ray and watch it and say, hey, Hoffman and Patches and Katie were right. It's good, but not great. And Ehrlich overstated it a little bit, but that's OK. And everybody's going to enjoy it. Everybody go see the interview when and where you can and be safe out there. Before we wrap up this week's episode, a shout out to the other Sony movie that no one will ever remember existed, Annie. Uh, this week's lightning round question, Patches, what was it? Uh, yes, well, it was in honor of Annie. What is the worst musical sequence involving children? <laughs> Horrible, <laughs> screeching children. <laughs> <laughs> our guest Jordan is uh, asked to go last. So, David, what's your pick from our listener? Oh, I, I wish I could say I'd given this more thought, but. I, I think recent memory gives us plenty of good choices. Um, I think every scene with, I believe his name is Gavroche. David, you're supposed to pick a listener answer. Oh. You hey, David, David, David wasn't, wasn't on, on the last you episode. Weren't, you weren't on. Okay, I you know what? Fine. Episode. Fine. Fine. You weren't on the episode. Go, go <laughs> for it. With all, uh, all of Gavroche. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to go with Gavroche's all of terrible. Gavroche. It's, uh, that kid should be, uh, should be murdered. You're not going to enjoy <laughs> Into the Woods then because he's in that too. <laughs> All of Gavroche sounds like a call to prayer. All of Gavroche. No, that was my '90s band. It's just really, really terrible. Uh, it's a terrible part in a terrible movie in a pretty decent show, and uh, I'm sure the kid who played him is a fine, upstanding young lad. But Tom Hooper did him no favors. It's not. It's not an awful part. Go to the wood. Uh, Patches, what's your listener pick? Uh, well, since two people picked it, I'm gonna have to go with Hot Chocolate from the Polar. Express. Oof. Um, I've never seen that movie. I'm too scared. Not only is it a horrible, screechy child singing song, it's that terrifying animation. That really early. I mean, I think Zemeckis got there eventually, Beowulf, but that motion capture at Polar Express is frightening. And I also saw it completely wasted the first time. <laughs> Patches, would it be fair for me to say, and I'm asking because, you know, if it's not fair, then. Then I wouldn't say. Oh, I can't wait uh, for that. <laughs> would, it, would it be fair for me to say you would like Beowulf? <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. okay. Okay. Uh, bad. I'm a little oh, forgiving. Sorry. I've I've never seen the Polar Express, but it's precisely because of Uncanny Valley, I can't I can't go there. Hey, Beowulf um, has a cool dragon. Speaking of the Uncanny Valley, Kumanche Wallace and Annie. <laughs> All right, I'm going with Patrick Rand, who said, how about the stupid, ungrateful mush faces on the Banks children as Julie Andrews slays Feed the Birds and Mary Poppins? And uh, no children can be properly grateful for Julie Andrews, so 
Yeah, fuck them. Is Mary Poppins a good movie? I don't it's know. It's treasured, but I don't think I really enjoy it. I, don't, so I haven't boring. seen it as, so a cons- long. as a considerate adult. It's so... Uh. Uh, Jordan, you've had a little minute. What's your pick? Uh, well, I think the worst song sung by a child is Where is Love from Oliver. I'm right there with you from the, this week's earlier episode. It's so bad. Um, but also... Um, uh, I can't. I can't think of uh, too many. Uh, but you know, Bugsy Malone. I just saw it for the first time about two or three months ago. It's marvelous. It's so good. I don't know. I don't know if it's available on the various streaming platforms. I don't but think uh, it is rentable. It's though. so good. Have you seen it, Patches? Yes, I've seen it, and it's, it's more so good. accessible uh, than the interview will be for our <laughs> lives. Things so. are. Yeah. Even if you can't get it legally, it's easier to get than the interview. Um, now, Bugsy Malone, which if you don't know what it is, it was um, Alan Parker directed it. It's from 76, give or take. And it's just a straight up uh, Chicago gangster picture of the 20s, but it's all starring kids. The whole world is kids. There are no adults in the movies like Pop, like uh, Peanuts. And Scott Baio is the lead and Jodie Foster is in it and it's very funny. Why don't they do that more choice. often? Make I'm movies sorry. starring only children. Yeah, I mean, I know we're railing against kids at movies right now, which is totally. It's re- well, you know, it was done at a time when kids um, were treated differently on film. They didn't have to be cute. You know, I just had the misfortune of seeing Steven Spielberg's 1941 on the big screen, thanks to our <laughs> my good friend Harry Knowles in Austin, Texas, who condemned us to watch it during Buttonathon. And uh, it's a piece of garbage, 1941. But Spielberg at that time, uh, you know, it was right before he made Close Encounters which has some amazing kid performances in it. And there's one or two scenes with kids in 1941 that are so great. And, um, and it hit me. I'm thinking, why was Spielberg so good with kids at the time? And it was part of that whole like bad news bears feeling of the late seventies where like kids were allowed to be really bad on screen. <laughs> um, they were just like allowed to be kind of like evil monsters, which children really are. I mean, I have a niece and nephew and they're, they're, but was they're, that part of like the rebellion? Like could, could kids I think so. be more rebellious the way that adults wanted to be in the 70s? Well, I think adults were being rebellious, too. I just think it was part of rebellion in general. I, th- I hmm. think you kind of hit on it. Because, like, now there are bad kids, but, like, you know, it's uh, urkelified or uh, whatever. But, it, you know, if you look at, you know, watch Close Encounters again because it's a masterpiece anyway. Well, maybe David disagrees. I don't know. But I think Close Encounters, <laughs> is, a, I, I think Close Encounters is a masterpiece. And part of what makes it so great are the kid performance. They're really rambunctious and anarchic. And there's like three scenes of that in the in the dreadful 1941. So anyway. And Beast of the Southern Wild. I'm the man. I'm <laughs> the man. I'm the man. You Everybody. Know, the, the terrifying part of, uh, you know, I, I, I really don't want to harbor any ill will to Gavante Wallace or starting in, starring in just two earth-shakingly bad movies. By the way, the whenever world, you mention her name, Jordan quietly yeah, yeah. sits and yeah, thinks yeah, of an Onion up. article that ran not too long ago. <laughs> I just want to uh, reveal that. She, in, a, in her New York Times profile that I read, because I read these things, um, she it's revealed that like that's the that's the like it's still a catchphrase in her family. She's like, I'm the man, and like I just can't be a bad enough person to care about that. Like I gotta let it go. What an 11 year old uses to communicate with her mom, even if it's a catchphrase from this movie. I hate it so much. It's fine. It's fine. You know. See, David, look, in this post-interview time, you've learned to be so peaceful. And She's a cinephile. Uh, Wallace loves independent film. 
<laughs> and loves quoting it. Wallace has, if the eight seconds where she's allowed to sing in a normal register in this movie, has a promising career as a singer. Uh, as an actress, mm, she was perfectly cast in Beastless of the Wild. <laughs> Gives one of the worst performances I've ever seen in a film of oh. any kind in Annie. If yeah, she had a twin, bad. she could really be Mary Kate and Ashley 2.0. Oh, that's funny. It's, it's really bad. She's it's really bad it's, a, it's like an uncanny valley thing, and a lot of that has to do with the direction, the script for sure. Yeah. But uh, she is, and it's it's an, the the musical is an absolute atrocity. And she the new well, musical, the old musical. No, no, the old musical. The old musical is not good either. Uh, Annie, uh, Annie as a character is is just an evil. <laughs> it is. I, I spent way too much time digging. The Omen, Annie. But, but it's. I mean, like this is. This I, is I would still argue Kamajnay Wallace is not the worst Razzie thing in the new Annie, Razzie. which is Cameron Diaz. She is Cameron Diaz. Yeah, I did. Did Hell. I say at any point that? Kavajay Wallace gave the worst performance in this movie. <laughs> I said it was one of the worst performances I've ever seen in a movie, and that is wow. true. However, <laughs> in the same film, and I understand the odds of this are infinitesimally small, the performance is actually eclipsed by Cameron Diaz. Wow. How does Cameron Diaz get the ejaculate in her hair in this movie? Oh. Is that just a style? I don't know. Yeah. You know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end this. That's, that's <laughs> close enough to a butt joke to be in the spirit of the interview. And, uh, Perfect. That does it for this week's Fighting in the War Room. We'll be back next week with our top tens of the year. Ooh. Maybe someone will be a rebel and put the interview on there last minute just as like a uh, political statement. Like what the LA film critics put Brazil on their list and made them release it. Can we do that with the interview? Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, it's an act, of, an act of defiance. Anyway, we'll be back with our top tens to wrap up the year. Uh, in the meantime, tell the people who you are, starting with our guest, Jordan Hoffman. Where are you on the internet? Uh, hi, my name's Jordan Hoffman. Uh, you can listen to me on the occasional episode of Fighting in the War Room and uh, follow me on the Twitter at Jay Hoffman, and I write movie reviews for the New York Daily News and The Guardian. And I'm Matt Patches. I'm writing all over the place on the internet and putting everything on my personal website, mattpatches.com, and I'm on Twitter at Mr. Patches. I'm David Ehrlich. I'm the associate film editor for Time Out New York and the editor-at-large of Little White Lies. You can find me on Twitter at David Ehrlich and at Criterion Corner. And I'll I'm Katie one. Choose one, David. Come on. <laughs> it's about time. He's so indecisive. Uh, I'm Katie Rich. You can find me at VanityFair.com where Jordan Hoffman and I talked a bit about the interview if you can possibly want to hear us hear more about this. How fast uh, did we do that? Come oh on. Oh my God, so like, fast. That was like that was expert level writing right there. Old school, uh, old school internet web, web, web style. Bang yeah. it out. It's almost yeah. like we were in like some crazy newsroom with, with typewriters clacking. So exciting. Uh, Anyway, you can find that and a lot of other things at VanityFair.com or me on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H. Thank you for listening, and we'll be talking to you next week. The